Who, uh, who, who went to Sunday school? Who did it? My goodness. A lot of you. Me too. Um, uh, I didn't like calling it Sunday school, though. Why would you call it school on Sunday? Like, that was my big thing. That's why we call it kids stuff here. That's strategic. I don't want kids thinking they're going to school on Sunday. Anyway, um, you know, when I went to Sunday school, we had this uh, evangelism tool. And I think it's a pretty popular tool. Maybe some of you guys have seen it or not. Um, It's where we are standing on one side of a cliff and God is standing on another side of a cliff. Have you guys ever seen this before? Um, And we we need to get to God. And the way we get to God is by Jesus Christ. So the cross of Christ kind of bridges the gap for us, kind of like this. Have you guys seen this? Did you learn this in Sunday school like I did? No? Okay, I see some. Okay, we have a mixed crowd here. So this was something I learned in Sunday school, just like that. So uh, it was good. But, you know, but we always had this, like, wise kid in Sunday school, like the wise guy kid who was, like, the 13-year-old kid that went out and smoked cigarettes. You know that guy? You were those people. You were that guy. But, um... We always had that kid, and that kid would always make it, he'd always say, hey, listen, this doesn't work, and it doesn't work because the cross isn't, like, conducive to it. Like, I, you know, like, I need a, um, he, he would say, you know, we need, like, a, a ladder or a saw or something like that, and then we could make this work. Uh, and so then, you know, forget it, the teacher would have lost us, and we all would have just laughed, and blah, blah, blah. So, um, so I, I, this sort of stays in my head. It's with me. It's with me a lot. It's with me all the time. You could take it down now. It's all right. Um, but, uh, it's with me because there are times, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, I bet you do, that there are times when I absolutely believe and feel like I am on one side of a cliff or, or a chasm and God's on the other side, right? And, and I, this picture it stays with me, it's in my head so often. Um, and there are things in my life, and I don't know about you guys, but there are things where, where I feel like God's not at work in me. You know, or I feel like, oh, I don't really believe in God. I don't, I don't necessarily think, like, God can do anything to help me out. I'm in control of my own life. God's not control, in control of anything. I have these major things where I love me and my kingdom and not necessarily God's kingdom. And I can go on and on if you want me to. Um, and so what that does is I feel like it keeps me on one side of the chasm and keeps God on the other side. Okay? You know what that's called? It's called sin. So we're going to talk about sin today. You guys are glad you showed up at church. We're talking about sin. Um, and not only are we going to talk about sin, because the truth of the matter is we are all incredibly sinful people. We are. We all have weaknesses. We all have struggles. We all have issues that make us broken and messy and all the rest. We are sinful people. Um, but we're also going to talk today about confession. Okay, Confession uh, is, is the second week. The second week we're in this series, and the series is called Thankful. And we're talking about why we do some of the things we do, why we practice some of the rhythms that we practice. And so if you were here last week, we baptized people, right? And we said we practice baptism because it changes our minds about who God is, and it allows us to begin a journey through God's kingdom or in God's kingdom through the grace of Christ. And this week, we are thankful. <clears throat> we are thankful, and we're going to talk about why we do confession, why we practice confession, why we acknowledge our sin, and we're thankful for that. It seems weird to be thankful for it. With confession, let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you think of confession? What do you think of? You know, what? Yeah, small dark room. That's what I see a lot of people shaking their heads. Yeah, it definitely comes to mind, right? There's a room, there's a priest, you're confessing all the acts that you've committed, all the thoughts that you've had, and then somebody says to you, uh, okay, go do five Hail Marys or whatever, and you're good, right? That's, that's some, some of what we think of. Uh, I have a per- like, I remember I was, I was in fourth grade and I was playing soccer and I cursed at one of the kids on my team. And I remember running off the field and sitting by a, a fence and like really upset, like really like riddled with guilt and shame. And like, I'm so sorry, God, I can't stop cursing. 
It's like this scene that sticks out in my head. I can't stop cursing and just like riddled with guilt. Like if I had died at that point, there was a really good chance I was going to hell. Like that's definitely how I felt. Um, how many people have ever just, they confess to God, they just feel tons of guilt and shame. Who's there? Anybody? I got an honest crowd today. Thank you guys. It's not just me. We feel like the guilt and shame, right? Confession's a, a difficult thing. Sin's a difficult thing. So what if I told you guys that in the first century, when people confessed, when people confessed to one another in the first century church, it was a celebration. It was positive. It grew the church. Could you believe that? Would you believe that? So I want to talk about confession in those terms. We are thankful for confession. We're thankful that we get to confess our sins. So what changed, right? What changed from this first century church that, that confession was a celebration, a good thing, a thing of growth, to where now, let's just be honest, now when we think of confession, we think of shame, guilt, inadequacy. What changed? I want to do a little, uh, I did a little history lesson last, last week. I'm going to do a little bit more history today. Uh, just a little bit, though. Um, so I'll tell you what happened. So first century, the church is going well. It's this little rogue group of people, and they're, they're Christ followers, and they're, they're a little crazy, a little revolutionary. And then about 300 years after Jesus, all of a sudden, Christianity becomes a national religion. National, okay? So now it's our, the, the religion of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is the entire Western civilization. So the entire Western civilization now practices Christianity. And so what happens is, is Christianity moves from this little rogue thing where people are taking care of one another and loving one another and confessing to one another, and it becomes this political thing, this really big thing. And so as a really big thing, you put together councils. So there's a council of Nicaea in the early 300s, and this council of Nicaea said, if you are going to be a Christian, which everybody has to because you live in the Roman Empire, then you have to confess. You have to confess and you have to do that privately with somebody. Uh, and they used Acts 2.38, which says repent. And they said repent is the same as confession, so that's why we're going to tell you you have to do this, okay? And so then there was a bunch of edicts and, and, conf- and uh, different, different you know, political kind of uh, treaties on, all con- on what confession meant and what confession looked like. And this went on for about 1,500 years. This was the last one. It was in 1551, the Council of Trent. It says, according to the church, the sacrament of penance is for baptized members who have fallen into grave sin and have thus lost their baptismal grace and wounded ecclesial communion. The Father of the church present the sacrament as the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck, which is the loss of grace. So everybody understands that, right? You got it? That's why we confess. Anyway, um, basically, it's another political edict that says uh, if you have committed a big sin like idolatry or adultery or something, you need to confess. And that's the only way you're going to get back into heaven. So let's take one second. Let's put ourselves in people's shoes who lived a thousand years ago. Okay? You live a thousand years ago. The national religion is, uh, is Christianity. There's a bunch of political councils that say you have to confess. And you live in this town, and you're a farmer, or you have a trade, or you do something. And in the middle of your town is a church. And the church acts as not only a religious institution, but it acts as like a legal institution, or political as well. So you go in, and you can't read, because most people couldn't read back in those days. 99% of the population couldn't read, but your priest can read. Okay, so you're going in, and you have no ability to read what the Bible says about confession or about sin or about anything, but your priest does. Not only does your priest read it, but your priest is reading it in Latin, and you don't speak Latin. But it's the national religion, it's the national language for the national religion, so the priest is doing it in Latin. So let's talk about confession that way. You are relying on your priest absolutely, to tell you everything and anything. Imagine you guys had to rely on me like that. Think about that, that'd be awful. So anyway, like... You're relying on your priest, and so your priest would say, well, you need to confess, and if you don't confess, um, you know, God is going to send you into the pits of hell. You don't know any better. Or, or if your priest was corrupt, right, what could your priest do? 
Well, you need to confess, and by confessing, you need to pay this much money. And if you don't pay this much money, well, you're in big trouble with God. You, don't, you can't read. You don't know if that's true or not. Think about it if a priest was really corrupt. You need to confess, and, and, and if, you don't, if you don't do what I tell you, if you're not under my power, then God's going to send you to hell. So good luck. So think about the corruption, the distortion, the guilt, the shame, everything that would have come from the idea of confession for thousands or a thousand years, right? So no wonder it comes to us, right? And we still feel the remnants of this. In some way, in some aspect, we still feel that confession is this like shameful thing, this thing that like should hurt us, or this thing that makes us wonder whether or not God loves us. When the, the truth is that it's the exact opposite. The truth is that confession is good news. It was good news for the first century church. It's good news for us today. Why is it good news for us today? Well, the first century church would have read what we just read. They would have read the Proverbs, okay? What are the Proverbs? Ben sort of explained it. They were a collection of, um, you know, a collection of stories, a collection of sayings. Uh, some of them are attributed to King Solomon. Some of them aren't. But basically, they're like the life hacks, like the best practices for life, okay? Now, these things are going to make you uh, the best Christ follower possible. And you've got to remember, the first century church doesn't have the Bible like we have it, okay? The Corinthians weren't going, all right, we're going to do 1 Corinthians 13. People are going to say, it's a wedding's forever. Let's make it good. They weren't doing that. They were just going off of what they had, and they had the, the Proverbs, okay? So I know Ben made you memorize it, but I'm going to say open up or your, your Bibles or your phones, your phone apps, and go back to Proverbs. And this was called wisdom text. Okay, it'd be like, you know, say, um, you know, it'd be like if like, somebody compiled a bunch of like Twitter posts and Facebook posts that were really good and really helpful and really, you know, well-spoken and, and accurate and all the rest and said, here you go. These are the best ways to live your life. That's what the Proverbs are. So they would have read, and they would have read uh, the passage that we just read. And you guys, you guys remember it? No, nobody remembers it? Oh, good. Oh. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. One who confesses and renounces their sin finds mercy. Now, this was great news. We're going we're to start with the word confession. Okay, confession uh, was a good word. You know, what it, you know what it meant? Confession meant... Uh, in the Hebrew, it meant to, to cast out or to spill out. So think about like, blah, like that's confession. Like, yeah, and, and the Hebrew word for it is yada. Yada, to cast out or to spill out. Cast out, yada. Which is also where we get yada, yada, yada from Seinfeld. <laughs> that's where we get it from. Did you guys know that? You weren't going to come to church today. <laughs> and you're glad you did. So yada, yada, yada. Cast out or to spill out. That's the Hebrew word, yada. And that's the word for confess, Okay. Now let's think about that for a second, right? Casting out, spilling out, bleh, whatever. How many people feel like they can easily and honestly just sort of cast out and spill out what's going on in their lives? How many people? One. And it's not me. It's really, really hard, right? It's really, really hard. Why is it really, really hard? Because we have worked really, really hard to create a perfect self. We've worked really, really, really hard to create uh, uh, um, this self that it just looks great and has no cracks in it. Uh, um, this, this carefully crafted self that it's always right and always understands things and is never wrong and, and always has their act together. Um, and, and we go to great lengths to craft this self that we have. We go to really great lengths. Um, I used to teach. I taught fifth grade. There was one day that I was checking homework, and I said to a student, you had to do page 62. And the student goes, well, I didn't do page 62. 
And I go, why not? And he goes, because you told me page 200. And I go, fine, let me see page 200. I didn't do page 200. Well, why not? Because we never learned it. It was page 200. It's in the back of the book. I was like, that's why I signed page 62. <laughs> and I go, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to buy it. I was like, you have detention. And when I said you have detention, this kid picks up his desk and flips it over. And he goes, you are wrong. I am right. You are wrong. I am right. And he walks out of the classroom. You are wrong. I am right. Now, my guess is most of us have never flipped over a desk. Although I'm looking at Frank, and I think Frank might have done it. But anyway... <laughs> My guess is that most of us have not. But what's my point in all this? My point is that we go to great lengths to make sure that we are right, to make sure that we look good, to make sure that we are justified in the way we act and what we say. So we're never going to spill out. We're never going to cast out. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, keep in and we're going to, to, to manipulate and to tell ourselves little lies that make us right so that we don't have to practice yada, so that we don't have to, to cast out or spill out, right? That's one way we do it. We just manipulate and change and say we're right. We tell little lies. Little lies make us look just a little bit more competent. They're not big lies. They're little lies, so it's really okay. And it it helps us keep our carefully crafted persona. We, We tell people, they say, how are you? We say, I'm doing just fine. When the truth of the matter is right below the surface, we're screaming, I'm not okay. I am not okay. But we have a carefully crafted persona that says, don't tell people you're not okay. That's getting too vulnerable. Don't do it. We tell people we understand when we don't understand. Let's go back to school. Your teacher's like, hey, does everybody get the Pythagorean theorem? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> but you don't get it. You do not get it. So we do this because we don't want to look weak. We don't want to look like we have no idea what's going on. You guys want to know what we're doing when we're creating this, this carefully crafted persona. What we're doing is we're not acknowledging reality. You guys want to know what sin is? You guys want to know what the base of all sin is? The start of all sin is? The base and start of all of our sin is the fact that we are not acknowledging reality. That is it. We don't acknowledge the fact that we are broken, messy people who need to perform yada. We need to cast out. We need to spill out. Let people know what's really going on. And instead, we have this false persona that keeps everything in and works and goes to great lengths to make it happen. That is sin. Sin is not acknowledging our reality. That's the start of all of it. That's it. And so now, we have to, what does it say? It says, whoever conceals their sin will not prosper, right? Of course they won't prosper. Why won't you prosper? You are working really, really hard not to have to cast out. We're working really hard, aren't we? We're working really hard to remember all the little lies we told all those people so that we could just be a little bit more competent. And we're working really, really hard to make sure that even though we're dying on the inside, that we have a smile on our face and we say that we're doing well. And we're doing really, really hard to manipulate and to justify and to turn all these little things in our minds so that we can always come out right instead of wrong. We're working really hard. That's why we're not prospering. We don't have time to do anything else. We're just trying to keep this facade up. That's what it's about. And that breaks us and creates fractures, changes us, The test is coming up. We have no clue what the Pythagorean theorem is. We haven't told anybody. So we will not prosper. That's what the scripture says. That's what they read. So what happens? What do we do? How do we move beyond that? I was running. I was training for a uh, half marathon like like two years ago. And I, I hadn't done any training. None. Like period. I hadn't ran since high school. And my friend was like... He was like, hey, you want to go running with me? I was like, yeah, man. He goes, you've been training for the marathon, right? I go, yeah. He goes, let's do eight miles today. I was like, cool. So 
I hadn't run since high school. So, uh, you know, we started running, and, you know, it's like three miles in, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so I don't feel good. You know, you know when you, your body starts to get sick when you, you push it too much? So I don't feel good. And so I'm like, I can, either, I can either get sick or I can tell him I don't feel well and just be honest. And so I say, hey, hey. I'm like, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. And he goes, why didn't you just tell me you couldn't keep up? And I was like, because I haven't been training. I didn't want you to know I hadn't been training. And he goes, listen, I haven't been training either. I was just running this way because you said you were doing it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness. And then we ran at a nice pace. But here's the thing. Like, here's the, the, the point in all this is this, this, is, this is confession, right? Confession is the continually, consistently, constantly saying the truth. I cannot keep up. I can't keep up. I'm not owning up to reality. I'm not owning up to what's right. I have this, this veneer. I don't understand the Pythagorean theorem. I don't quite get any of it. I'm a mess right now. I'm filled with guilt and shame. How am I doing? I'm not doing well. That's confession. It's owning up to reality. It is owning up to the fact that your reality is actually not great, that it's broken. And that's confession. What happens with confession? Freedom. There is great freedom that comes with confession. That's why, you know, how many stories have you guys read where the criminal comes in to the police station and confesses to a crime, and what do they say? How do you feel? I feel free. I feel okay. I feel free, right? Now, here's the thing. There are lots of consequences, there's lots of consequences that come with our confession, okay? We can't, we can't skirt over that. Confession doesn't mean things are better and good. It means there's a process. It means there's a beginning. We finally have owned up to reality that things aren't what they're supposed to be, which means that now we're going to have to fix all those little lies we told. It means we're going to have to tell people we didn't understand what was actually going on. When we said we did, it means that we're not right, and we have to stop uh, working to be right all the time, and we have to fix those things and make amends. There are consequences to our confessing, but there is freedom, there's prosperity that comes with them. And honestly, like, were there consequences before you confessed? Were there consequences to all the work that you had to do to keep all that stuff inside or to tell that lie or to tell everybody that was okay or whatever that it might be? I mean, really, which side has more consequences when you think about it? So, that's confess, yada to cast out, to spill out. We are confessing when we practice yada over and over. I do not have reality figured out. I'm owning up to the fact that I don't have reality. And then what does God say? What, what, what does scripture tell us God says? But the one who confesses and renounces finds mercy. I love this word. I love mercy. Mercy's, so I, I listened to this podcast. It was great. It was from Mars Hill Church in Michigan on this word mercy. Uh, the word mercy in the Hebrew language is the word raham. Raham, that's the word. Uh, what does raham mean? Raham means to soothe or to cherish. To soothe or to cherish. So the one who confesses, the one who spills out, casts out, uh, receives soothing and cherishing. Now the only way we can really describe this kind of soothing and cherishing, and this is, comes from God, I need, you, I need you to remember when you were young. Remember when you were a kid, a really little kid? If you are a parent, remember when your kids were little, okay? Some of our kids are still little, but remember. And I want you to remember that time when you were sick, or you were exhausted, it was the end of a day, or you know you got hurt, or something like that, and and you got to remember this. Think back. Remember when you just sort of like, like last ditch effort, you climbed up onto somebody's lap, right? It was your mom, or it was a, your dad, a loved one, somebody that you really trusted. Parents, you remember when your kids were little, and and your and the kid maybe it was you know last week you know climbing up on the subway you're on the subway your kid just sort of climbs up on you they're exhausted you guys remember that feeling you know that feeling 
and you sit there and and you just collapse into this parent or whoever's arms and what does the parent do? The parent puts their arms around you and, and you just sort of for one minute you kind of feel like, you know what, I'm okay. Like I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm sick. Parents, we know that feeling when the kid just kind of collapses on us on our, on our shoulder and, and you just are kind of like, okay, this, this kid is exhausted but you're feeling like I'm okay. That's Raham. That's mercy. That's the kind of mercy that God's talking about here. God says, you confess, yada, you spill out, you spill forth, then I am here to give you raham. I'm here to show you mercy. And it's the kind of mercy that that, that parent gives a child or, or the person uh, who you love the most allows you just to collapse on their lap or on them or whatever it may be. That's raham mercy. That's what God is talking about here. That's what happens with confession. So let's put this together. Because this is actually kind of a big deal. Okay, raham, spilling out, casting out. And then the kind of mercy that comes from it, it's actually pretty graphic. It's pretty powerful. You know, I'm going to tell a story. Asha was two. We went to Canal Street. I don't know why. And, and, uh, and Lila was five months. And so we went to Canal Street and we gave Asha M&Ms on the train because she was two and because we're good parents. And, and, um, and yes, yeah, so we get to Canal Street. We're walking around. We go into a store and I'm holding Asha. And I look up and I'm like, this kid's going to be sick. And so I start walking really fast out, out the door. And right before I get out the door, sure enough, she just throws up everywhere. And it's M&M's. And she just, and I, I get out the door, we get out the door. And she's on the sidewalk now. And she's two, but she's doing the, the thing that we do as adults, like the, uh, like that. And she's leaning over. And all of a sudden, there comes Juby. Juby comes running out of the, of, the, of, the, of the door. And she's got Lila. And she hands me Lila, who's five months, hands me Lila. And she goes to Asha, and she just starts you know, rubbing Asha's back, you know? And then with her other hand, just trying to catch everything that's coming out. Like, you know, it's, I don't, it's just instinctual. I don't know, so she's rubbing her back, and you know, and you know how you feel when you throw up. She, Asha's all sweaty, and she's doing like the half cry, like she's shaking, right? She's shaking. And then she's sort of done, and you know when you're sort of done, and it's this awful feeling, and like you're like spitting, you're like, you know that? And so poor little Asha, she's doing that. And then Juby, who's like a mess, like, you know, covered on her arms and like just grabs her and picks her up and just holds her like that. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. That's Yada. That's Raham. That's why this is good news. It's good news because this is painful. It's painful. It's painful to, to have to hold up this, this veneer. It's painful to be on the other side away from God and to hold it all in. And God says you don't have to. In fact, God's not even on the other side of the chasm. God's sitting right next to you. And God goes, I'm, you don't have to hold it in. It's painful. Let it out. Spill it out. Cast it out. And the second you do that, Raham, I'm here to wrap you up. And you know what? You're all messy and you're disgusting and, and you know, you're covered in old M&Ms. And, and God goes, I don't care. Picks you up. That's what happens in confession. You know, for some reason we think we can't confess to God. You know, I'm going to stay on my side. God, you stay on your side. And of course there's a chasm, right? Of course there's this, this empty space. I love what Frederick Buechner says, though. Frederick Buechner says this. He's a wise man. You should read his books. Confess your sins is not telling God anything God doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, there's an abyss there. But when you confess them, they become the Golden Gate Bridge. 
why do we practice confession? It's good news. It brings freedom. It allows us to experience the mercy of God in ways we've never experienced the mercy of God before. As a community, why do we practice confession? Because God has given it to us. And God says, guess what? You get to confess to one another as a church. And guess what? You get to practice Raham mercy on one another the same way I practice Raham mercy on you. And so as a community, we stand uh, next to one another and across from one another. And people say, how are you? And you get to say, you know what? I'm going to yada. I'm going to cast out what's going on in my life. And you know what? We might not like the person, agree with the person, understand the person's decisions, anything else. And yet we are called to say, you are loved. You are absolutely loved. And we get to remind one another of that. And what that does is it compels us. It compels us to grow. It compels us to get better. It compels us to change our lives and the lives of others. And just to become a community that God has called us to be. To see our vision played out. To restore and renew lives. That's what confession brings to us. So here's what's going to happen right now. We're going to do a communion. We're going to take communion. And what is communion? It's the ultimate act of Raham. It's the ultimate act of mercy upon us. God's mercy upon us through his son Jesus Christ. And I want us to practice confession. Okay? You see four stations. There's two over here, and there's two in the back. And what's going to happen is the band's going to come up, and they're going to start playing. And you're going to see people, and they're going to be at each station. And, um, and I want you to take communion today, and you're going to take the cracker. And you're going to dip it into the juice. But I want you to confess. You can make it a silent confession, just between you and God. Say, God... You know what, I'm, I, I can't do this thing. I can't do this false self thing anymore. I'm actually just going to tell you what's going on. I'm going to yada. I'm going to spill out. I'm just going to let you know. And you can make it silent, just between you and God. But we also have our community members, and they're going to be standing at each station. And if you're compelled, if you want to, you can confess. You can say, hey, things in my life, the guilt, the shame that I have, it's crazy. The, 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 I'm, I always need to be right, and I can't do that any longer. I've been telling those little lies. I've been saying everything's okay, and it's not okay. And our community members are there to pray with you, to remind you that there is a God who brings Raham, mercy. So those people are going to go to the tables now. And we're going to go ahead, and we're going to close this chasm between us and God through our confession. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that confession is not a scary thing that's filled with punishment and guilt, but it's a beautiful thing filled with your love and your mercy in ways that we can only begin to comprehend. And so for that, we celebrate confession with you today. Amen. Go ahead, take and eat. Gifts of God for the people of God.